chapter 18. And for those of you who've been away for a long time, that's in the New Testament. And uh, I'm going to ask you to join me in the reading of the scripture. Invite someone. This is going to be a very powerful message. And I always know when God has something special based on the level of attack. So this has been a very challenging week, but God has been faithful. Somebody say amen. In Luke chapter uh, 18, beginning in the 18th verse, we read, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, we are grateful that you have allowed us another day to be a part of the kingdom-building work that you're doing in the world. God, we're asking that by your Spirit that you would so fill us that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit of God has to say, and more importantly, O God, that having heard what you have said to us, that we would be doers of the word not hearers only. We bless you and we praise you. In the mighty name of Jesus, the church said amen and amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated in the present Lord. We are grateful, grateful again. We're doing, uh, continuing our series part. This is part four. Reconnect to return to the work. That is our, our focus for 2022. Reconnect to return, to return to the work, the work, the work of building the kingdom through the sharing and the proclamation of the gospel, which is the fulfillment of the great commission given to the church by Jesus Christ himself. A young boy lived close. Let me, let me, let me, let me start that again. A young boy enjoyed collecting marbles. And he lived close to a young girl who collected and had a lot of candy. She said to him, if you give me all of your marbles, I'll give you all of my candy. He said, let me think about it. The next day, he hid some of his marbles in his room to keep for himself. Then he offered the rest to the little girl for all of her candy. That night, he couldn't sleep. He tossed and turned, he turned and he tossed. He was so troubled, troubled in his spirit. He was just under great and excruciating discomfort and agony. Agony. His mind was just, just really, uh, really vexing him. Guess what he was vexed by? He wondered if the little girl had given him all of her candy. (laughs) He knew he kept back some of his marbles, but he pretended to give all that he had to the little girl. And the only thing that bothered him is maybe she held back. Like this young boy in our story, we meet a young rich ruler in the Gospel of Luke chapter 18, who wanted everything Christ had to give as long as he didn't have to give Christ everything he had to give. He wanted all of the Lord's candy, but refused to give up all of his marbles. 
The problem when we refuse to give up all that we have to give to the Lord is that when we withhold, we are causing the Lord to respond to us in kind. There are blessings that are contingent upon the level of which we are surrendered and committed to being sold out to the Lord that will never be our experience until we're willing to give everything to him as he promises to give his all to us. The Lord is looking for sold-out Christians, not sellouts. Now, as a young Christian, that type of terminology was just commonplace, sold out for Jesus, crucified with Christ. You rarely hear anybody talk about being sold out for Christ. We do hear people arguing about being sold, uh, being connected to sellouts, but rarely are we talking about what it means to be sold out to Christ. And one of the things that caused this message to weigh heavily on my heart was our life group. And several of those who shared talked about being bold for Christ in their workplace. And I realized that there were situations during my previous week where I did not use the name of Jesus. I was a sellout as a pastor. I didn't tell nobody that. So don't you tell anybody I told you that. The Lord is looking for sold-out Christians, not sellouts. Listen to the words again that the Lord uses to expose the difference between those who are sold out from those who are sellouts. He said, so when Jesus heard these things, when Jesus heard these things, he said to the rich young ruler, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then follow me. And the scripture says, the rich young ruler proved by his actions that he was about to be sold out. He was going to sell out. He became sorrowful. He became discouraged. And he chose not to follow Jesus because following Christ meant that he had to give up what was most important to him. Now, on the surface, this young ruler sounded and looked like he had already given God his marbles, all of them. In fact, he was convinced in his own mind that he had. I want you to know that there are people in the church who would say, if you ask him, am I sold out? Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. I'm crucified with Christ. I die every day. I'm mortified to flesh. I'm bearing my cross. I understand that I'm crucified and I'm redeemed by the Lamb of the Lord and I'm sold out. And they really believe that until the Lord says, there's an area in your life that you have posted a do not touch off limits to God that you will not access to him. God is constantly asking us like he asked Abraham in in, in the book of Genesis. Isaac was his only son, but the Lord says, I want you to offer to me what is most important to you. Lay Isaac on the altar. So when we talk about being sold out versus selling out, it's really a question of what is your Isaac? What is there in your life that if the Lord says lay it on the altar, he couldn't have it? Now, what do I mean when I talk about being sold out? What does that word actually or that phrase mean? It means to be completely committed, devoted, surrendered, invested, and fully engaged in the cause of Christ for your life. To be fully engaged in the cause of Christ for your life. You are all in. When you're sold out, you refuse to withhold anything 
from the Lord. You're willing to go anywhere, do anything, give up everything in order to achieve the Lord's will for your life. Go anywhere, give up anything, and do whatever he asks at any time. Could the Lord tell you tomorrow, I want you to move to another part of the country? Could the Lord say to you, I want you to give up your job? Could the Lord say to you, now, whatever the Lord is saying to you, it will always agree with his word. He ain't going to tell you since, you, since you saved, you can jump off of a, the Empire State Building. and fly. He ain't going to tell you that. But if he's telling it to you, it will agree with what he has already said. And when you are sold out, you'll say yes. Isaiah came to that point in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, and the Lord said, who will go for us and who shall I send? And then Isaiah, here am I. Send me. That is the spirit of being sold out. Here am I. I'm totally available. I understand that I have been brought with a price. I am not my own. Whatever I have, I'm simply a steward, and it has been required. You say, Lord, it is required of a steward that you simply be found faithful to manage what God has entrusted to us. Our time, our talent, our temple, and our treasure, it all, all belongs to him. I already preached the sermon, but I'm going to preach some more. Let me, let me go a little farther. So it's being surrendered, invested, fully engaged. All in. Are you all in? Are you really that committed to the things of Jesus in your personal life? I want you to know until you buy completely in, you will never understand what it really means when the Lord says, where the spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. You will never fully understand the Lord's I have come to give you life. And to give you life more, you will never, you will never, we, we so comfortable and accustomed to eating the low-hanging fruit that we don't even begin to imagine what God has for those who love him in a way that they're surrendered as being sold out. Now, what does it mean to be a sellout? As a Christian, a sellout is a professing Christian who betrays the cause of Christ as revealed in his word in our personal life. You betray, you forsake, you abandon, you desert the cause of Christ in your personal life. And the reason you do it and we do it, we struggle with it, is before in any given circumstance is to a personal advantage. By, by denying Christ, by abandoning his call in our life, we actually are making a decision that in that moment, I'm going to gain something that will in some way benefit my flesh. A sellout is not all in. You're not all in. You're in the church, but you're not in the church. You read your Bible, but you don't really believe it. You say the right things, but you don't do the right things. You, 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 you do what is comfortable, but you won't, be, you won't break a sweat for the Lord. You selectively serve or identify with Christ. You identify with him at church, but during the week you identify with whoever you happen to be associated with. You're in the world and not to be of the world, but because you are sellout, you are more like the world then you are like Christ. A sellout is situationally involved in Christian activities when convenient. Now, if this sounds a little harsh and unfriendly, maybe because the person I'm describing stares at you every morning when you look in the mirror. A sellout will deny Christ to avoid peer pressure, to gain power, popularity, promotion, privilege, Fell out for personal pleasure. All somebody has to do is lift their skirt. Or the man says the magic word, I love you. Oh, you do. Okay. <laughs> A whole lot comes when you pull down that lever. We are sellouts when we put our personal agendas above God's agenda. We are faced every single day with two choices. Two choices every single day. 
Am I going to be sold out for Christ or am I going to sell out? Am I going to deny, forsake, abandon the call of Christ on our lives? What we're going to understand as we go through the scriptures is not, see, if it's based on how you feel, just already sign up on the sellout line. Join that club. But if you make up your mind that you resolve like Joshua said, Joshua said, ask for me in my house. We sold out. I want you to understand, when you sold out to Christ, you do crazy stuff. Supernatural things begin to happen. In Acts chapter 2, and this is my important they begin to see signs and wonders, and everybody who had need went without lacking because the church started giving like they never had given before. People sold property, sold jewelry, uh, uh, donated uh, uh, um, all types of finances to the church. Because they were sold out. And the Bible says that God caused them to continue to grow in favor and to increase in number. I want you to know that when the church decides to sell out, to be a sold out church, we don't want to sell out. When you, when you become a sold out Christian, the power of God is released. And we begin to experience a second Pentecost. Because of what occurs. Now, the question for me as I went through this passage of Scripture, now that we've seen what a sold-out Christian is and what a sell-out Christian is, why did the rich young ruler choose to sell out? Why? And I believe that his experience mirrors ours in terms of why we don't Go all in for Jesus. And I want you to know, to the degree that we go all in for Jesus, we'll go all in for our marriages as husbands, as wives. When we hold back from Jesus, we will inadvertently hold back from the kind of love, the kind of leadership, the kind of commitment and growth, the oneness that the Bible says they were, the two were one. How does that happen when you're sold out? That's why the Lord says to the wife and to the husband, as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord, when you make that full commitment to be sold out, the blessings of the Lord begin to flow like the oil from Aaron's beard. And it's not just individual blessing. It's a blessing that becomes generational. That's why the devil doesn't want you to to be a sold-out Christian, a surrendered Christian, a totally committed Christian. But let me, let me get into the, this passage. And by the way, for those of you who've been walking in this way for a long time, uh, there are no vacations. Uh, 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 you, you don't get gerrymandered in. Uh, uh, this is not uh, a situation where you can Draw from your spiritual interests to determine how you can coast into heaven. No, we all, until the day the Lord calls us in, the Bible says we are apostles. I am confident that he who began a good work will complete it. We will always be under construction. And the cause and the purpose of our construction is that the Lord wants us to be all in. Are you all in? I didn't say all in with your church, with your ministry, with your marriage, with your job, with your plans for your, your 401k. Are you all in with Jesus? Let me share these four reasons why this young rich ruler chose to be a sellout. Listen to the scriptures again. Now a certain ruler asked him, young ruler, and the interesting thing about this passage, it is so significant, so paramount, that in three of the four Gospels, this story is repeated with additional detail. So to fully grasp the, 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 the true, true picture of what is being portrayed here, you need to look at uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because each one records this encounter between Jesus and the, and the young rich ruler. He says, good teacher, you... 
Good teacher, what shall I do to inhabit the kingdom of God? Now, here are two things. Underline these two phrases in your Bible. The first one is good teacher. The second one, what shall I do to inherit the kingdom of, or, or inherit eternal life? And then when we drop down to verse 24, 21, he says, and he said, all these things I have done, I have kept from my youth. Underline that, all these things I have kept from my youth. Verse 21. And then the fourth thing is in the end, at the end of verse, tw- in, in verse 23, he says, but when he heard this, sell all you have and distribute to the poor, he became very depressed, sorrowful, for he was very rich. Underline that. There are the four things that I want to consider with you that caused him, this rich young ruler, to be a sellout, and I believe it also impacts how we make our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. The first reason is connected to the designation that he gives to Jesus, which reveals that the rich young ruler had a distorted view of the Savior, a distorted view of the Savior. The Savior is Jesus. And I want you to to consider with me that when he Ask Jesus the question about inheriting the kingdom of heaven. He refers to Jesus by using a a theological designation that the Jews understood only accurately described God. No teacher was ever called good. The way that Hebrew word was used, it referred to perfect in character, perfect in righteousness, perfect in integrity. Teachers were good, but none of them. The teachers were, they, they had, they, teachers had these characteristics, but none of them could be characterized as good. That's why Jesus said, why, are you, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Now, he, Jesus wasn't saying, don't call me that. He would simply say, I want you to understand that when you acknowledge that I am good teacher, good rabbi, you are also reflecting in your words that you are accepting and acknowledging that I am God in human form. The word became flesh, and it dwelled among us, and we beheld, the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 14, we beheld, we beheld his glory as the only Mogo Ganesh, the only unique son, the only one of his kind. We beheld God with us. And so he was saying, Jesus, good teacher, you're God. He was saying the right things. You remember when Jesus asked his disciples in, in, in Matthew chapter 17, who do men say that I am? Some say you're a prophet. Great teacher, great teacher. Many would not deny that you're a miracle worker. Then Jesus looked them in the face and said, who do you say I am? And Peter, speaking for the other 11, he says, thou art the Christ. Jesus Christos, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You are God in human form. And so Peter was saying the right things. He was speaking like somebody who was sold out. And then in the very next few verses, he said, you ain't going to the cross, though. You ain't going to fulfill God's purpose. And then Jesus had to say to Peter, who was speaking first as someone who sold out, now in the very next conversation, he's acting like a sellout. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. So you could be sold out in one conversation. In the very next conversation, you're talking like uh, somebody who's, who's a sellout. So he said the right things. Many shall say in that day, Lord, Lord. But even though he said the right things, he did not think the right way about who Christ actually was. Well, how was his view distorted? How was he misunderstanding who Jesus was? The reason I know that he misunderstood what he was actually saying and attributing to Jesus as God in human form is that when Jesus told him what to do, he didn't obey. 
if he really recognized that Jesus was God, he would have obeyed. That's why Jesus said, Many, you, you say, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me Adonai, a ruler, sovereign? Why do you call me master? And you do not do the things that I say. I'm not your Lord if you don't obey me. And so we can say the right things. We can pass the theological test. Yes, Jesus, born of a virgin. Yes, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But when the Lord tells us to go to that secret place where we've hidden our marbles, do we respond to him based on who he is? And when we do not, we're actually denying his authority. We're denying his power. We are questioning his true identity. I want you to know that there are Christians who call Jesus Lord, who could pass theological examinations, but they would fail the practical experiences of proving that they really believe he is by the, by the lack of obedience in their life. Here's what I'm saying. We are sellouts because we don't really believe that he is Jesus Christos. We don't believe that he's Christ, the, the God, the, the, the Savior of the world who came in human form, who is the God-man. We don't really believe that. We believe in Jesus as Savior, but do you trust him as Lord? Is he the master, the ruler, the controller? Is he Adonijah in your life? This ruler said the right things, and you would have thought he believed the right things until the Lord said, sell, sell, sell. I have a barber who used to brag. He, he breeded uh, pit bulls. You go in the shop and the bulls, with, the pit bulls, he let them uh, stay in the shop at night. They tore up the chairs and <laughs> it smelled like pit bulls, whatever that means, but it didn't smell very good. He be talking about, yeah. He said, one of the things I really enjoy is taking my pit bulls. I got four of them. I only, they're so big and strong, I can only take three of them at a time. I take them out to the park, and I just let them run. And I watch people see my pit bulls, and they jump up on the, they jump up on the uh, park picnic tables, and, they, and they, they get back in their cars, and I can hear oh, screaming. He said, man, I, I just thoroughly enjoy watching people lose their minds over my pit bulls. Man, that, that's not right. I said, yeah, that, those dogs could, they, they could just wipe somebody out. Oh, man, all I got to do is whistle and they come back, and, and I got full control of these dogs. Okay. I couldn't convince him that he shouldn't do that. It was, it was unsafe. And I'm talking about the wee hours of the morning in Philadelphia. So one day, he lets his dogs go, and they, they run like they normally do, and they come up on a man who has two small dogs. And the man don't move. He don't run. And the dogs didn't act like they were scared. And the, so the barber friend of mine said, what's wrong with this man? Why isn't he afraid? Why isn't he making my day? Why isn't he making me laugh? So he walked up to the man. He said, are you okay? Is everything all right? He said, yeah, I'm fine. I ain't scared. He said, I mean, he said, most people are scared of my dog. He said, and he pulled up his jacket. He said, I got this little silver thing here. It called a 45 Smiths and Wesson. I said, I got two small dogs. You got three big ones, but I have another dog. <laughs> and he bites real hard and he hurts. And then my buddy puts his dogs back in the van and he takes them. And he said, he said, man, that really upset me. Why would somebody have a gun at a park in the morning? And how dare they? I know he was a licensed uh, carrier, and I know he had authority to use the gun. I, just, I said, well, have you, are you still taking your dog? No, I ain't taking my dogs out anymore. I, I wouldn't risk my dog's life. I said, why not? I want you to know why he changed his conduct. It's because he met something with authority and power <laughs> called a 45. Here's how it applies to us. 
When we fully comprehend that Jesus is God in human form, that he is God, the Bible says he existed in the form of God, and he did not regard becoming equal to God something that he had to gain. He took on human, he took on the flesh that he might die in our place. When you accept that he is really God, you will respect his authority and power. And when you respect his authority and power, guess what that does? It changes your behavior. Jesus is that 45 Smiths and Weston. He is the one who is Lord. He is the one who is Adonai. And so he had a distorted view of, of, of the Savior. He treated Jesus like he was just an ordinary teacher. We treat Jesus like he's just a historical character in a book called the Bible. We have never, some of us, fully come to grips with he's more than just a good teacher, somebody to help us when we get in trouble, a good luck chain. Here's the one thing I've learned, and this is, another, this is a little extra. Surrendered people have no problem with being obedient. And what makes a person surrender when you're broken? I want you to know there are too many Christians who've never been broken. Until you've been broken, you'll never know what to surrender. And sometimes the reason why some of us never reach a point of brokenness, hitting rock bottom, is because some Christians stand in the way. We reach down when God is saying, I want you to stay down until you can see my hand to deliver you. He is Lord. So he had a distorted view of Christ. He also had a distorted view of salvation. You ask a lot of Christians, what does it mean to be saved? Well, I'm doing the best I can. I've been in church all my life. In fact, my mother gave birth to me on the third pew on the left-hand side. We are part of Mount, Mount Calvary, Explosive, Islam. They got all kinds of names of the church. No church like ours. You're right. Here's his, his distorted view of salvation. He asked Jesus, what, what can I do to inherit eternal life? He actually believed that it was humanly possible, based on religious practices, to earn and deserve salvation. We actually believe that God is impressed with us. Little God, let me give you a nickel here. Let me give you five minutes of my time, my time. We forget that the Lord says, all of our righteousness is to him as filthy rags apart from Christ. Anything that we do in the flesh does not please the Lord. Salvation is not earned by works. The Bible says, unlike the Jews thought, the religious Jews, so they thought they can become right with God by keeping the law. But James 2, the law of Moses, the James 2 verse 10 says, if you offend the law in one point, you're guilty of breaking them all. And the law is like my little $39 chain. I got around, you don't know it's 39, I just told you. As far as you know, it's 55,000. But how many links in the chain do you need to break before the chain is broken? Just one. And so what James is saying, if you break one law, the whole chain, the whole chain is broken. And so the law being perfect is impossible for us to obey because we are imperfect. We're not saved by works of the law, by saved by, 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 by works of our own hands. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 said, for by grace you have been saved through what? Faith, that not of yourself. It is the free gift of God, not the result of human effort, lest any man should boast. Saved by grace. Not only didn't he understand that he could not save himself through human effort, he didn't understand what we sometimes don't understand. Salvation is free, but it was very costly to God. Someone has called grace God's riches at Christ's expense. God gave for our salvation, 
the very best that he had. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. We are redeemed. We have been brought back out of the marketplace of sin because of what Christ did. The Bible said without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus, the Christ, is the propitiation. He appeased. He satisfied. He met the just requirements of God's demand for our sin when he took our place. He misunderstood that even though salvation is free, it's very costly to God. God gave the best that he had. He didn't understand that the only way to God is through Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 8 said, Neither is there salvation in any other name given unto men, whereby we must be saved. And then Jesus, let me, let me punctuate that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father except by me. And so his distortion of salvation caused him to think that he could somehow impress God with his own, with his own accomplishments. There's only one way to God. And I think when you begin to reflect on the fact that God, the Bible says, while we were still in our sins, while we were yet sinners, in our weakness that God proved beyond any question or shadow of a doubt how much he unconditionally loved us. He sent Jesus to die. When you understand that salvation is a gift from God that we don't deserve, it'll make you want to be a sold-out Christian. But when you have a distorted view of salvation, you just see it as fire insurance. His name was, I'm not going to mention his name, but he was a dialysis patient. And the doctor told him when he, when he asked the doctor, he said, look, I've just been given an all-expense round-trip ticket for vacation in an exotic part of the world, and I want to know if I could go on this vacation and spend 10 days. The doctor said, you have eight days. And if you stay beyond eight days, you will die. The only thing that's keeping you alive is dialysis. You, beyond the eighth day, you will die. So he says, I recommend that you are back no later than the sixth day. So the man said, oh, man, I'm not missing this vacation. I never get a chance, and it's all paid for, and I can take one guest. And so he went on this all-expense vacation on this exotic island, and he's having the ball, and he gets to the sixth day, and he's feeling great. He has no symptom. And he said, the doctor don't know what he's talking about. Why would he try to rob me of this experience? And so he stays to the seventh day, and he's still feeling great. He's looking great. He's drinking, and he's having a party, staying up all night, just really having a thrill, taking pictures, sending Facebook uh, and uh, 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 Shots back, and everybody's just happy for him. Now we're into the eighth day, and then he decided to come back on the eighth day. And he called the doctor. He said, I'm feeling a little different, but it, it's, it's more into the ninth day. He said, my plane won't land until the following morning, and that'll be the ninth day. And so it'll be one day after the last day I should have gotten the only thing that could save me, and that's dialysis. And the doctor said, well, when you come, come to the hospital to die. He got off the plane, he went to the hospital, and he died that day. He had, he had only one, one medium, one uh, 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 resource that was available to him, and he had a certain amount of time. And without responding to that obedience, it, he actually died as a result. I want you to know you and I aren't on dialysis, but we only have one way to receive eternal life. And the Bible says we need to seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he's near. The Bible says at the moment that you hear my voice, don't harden my heart. But when you, under, when you understand that salvation is in Christ alone, you will respect the fact that God provided that provision for you. And all you have to do is apply what he already did, and that is to receive Christ. And just like that young man could have remained alive if he had accepted the treatment, you and I are alive in Christ today because we said yes. Yes, 
If we hadn't said yes, we would be dead, separated from God. God has provided the only way. That ought to make you celebrate. That ought to make you rejoice. That ought to make you say, hey, thank you, Jesus, that the provision for salvation that dealt with the enmity. I was an enemy. I was, I, I was far off, separated from God. But salvation through Christ. Let me run on. He also had a distorted view of sin. When Jesus said, you know the commandments, and he goes to some of the commandments, and then the man said, well, I've done all of them perfectly since I was a boy. I, I, I don't need, he, had his, his, he, he didn't think he needed salvation, because in his mind, he had already arrived. What we discover is that the man was blind to his personal sin, he was self-righteous, and the reason we can walk in self-righteous and be religious is that we assess our acceptance to, to God by human standards, not what the scriptures say. We judge and compare ourselves by others. Jesus is not the model for us. We, we, we allow one another. He did not see his need for forgiveness. He was looking for approval. He was basically saying, Jesus, I'm just coming to you. I'm asking the question, good teacher, to, to really let you know I've crossed every T. I've dotted every I. I've I, I spiritually arrived. And so now just crown me right now and, and give me my reserve ticket to heaven. Because I, I, I've done it all. Well, I would never say I don't sin. Huh? But I, when's the last time you confessed your personal sin? When is the last time the Holy Spirit convicted you and you were grieved and you said, I was sorry, when you recognized that you were wrong? When is the last time you felt troubled in your spirit because you disobeyed the word of God? Well, it just doesn't bother me the way it used to. It should if you say because sin doesn't change because you've been in the Lord for a long time. What we have in the church are people who don't confess, people who don't feel guilty or, 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 or pressured by the Holy Spirit when we do wrong. This man didn't see that he had anything lacking. Lord, I've done all of that. I actually was on a plane one time. Every time I get on a plane, I try to share Christ back in the day. And this woman said, I said, uh, Miss, have you ever sinned? She said, no. I said, have you ever lied? No. Have you ever thought evil thoughts? Oh, of course not. Not I. I wanted to say, you're lying now. <laughs> you need to repent. But there are people in the church that have become so religious that, that, that they spend most of their time being fault finders. They can see the, the, they can see the splinter in your eye, but they can't see the, the, the telephone plank, the telephone pole in their own eye. This man had a distorted view of his own sin. It didn't bother him. Somebody else's kids get in trouble. They ought to go to jail. They ought to get life. They ought to never get out of that. They ought to get the full extent of the punishment of the law. Happens to your child. Grace and mercy. <laughs> Scripture says that there were two men going to the temple for prayer. In, in, in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14, one was a, one was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The worst Per, the worst kind of person in, in, during this time was a tax collector. And, and both of them went to church, and, 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 the, and, the, and the Pharisee began to pray, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this criminal. I thank you that I don't lie. I thank you that they don't call me the kind of names. They, and I fast, and I pray, and I tithe. But the tax collector, the Bible said, kept beating his chest. And all he said was, Lord, have mercy on me. He, had a, he did not have an incorrect view of personal sin. Do you understand what sin does between, between you and God? What it prevents from happening between you and God? The Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Christ continues to cleanse us from sin until we deal with our personal sin problem. But he said, if you confess your sin, I'm faithful. You have sin in your life. But without confession, your fellowship with the Lord and other believers is broken. He had a distorted view 
of his personal sin. He had a distorted view of the Savior, distorted view of salvation. Here's the final thing that gave him problems. He had a distorted view of stuff. Say stuff. That's a theological term. Stuff. <laughs> so when Jesus heard these things, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell your stuff and distribute it to the poor. And it was at that time the brother said, hey, I don't know if I want to be a Christian. I don't know if it, I don't want to join that kind of church. I don't know if it requires all of that. I think I might go get the, another type of Bible. Maybe that, that, that's not the right translation or something. When Jesus told the rich man to give all that he had to give to the poor, he doesn't, he's not saying that it is wrong to be rich, to have wealth, but it is wrong for wealth to have you. I want you to understand that the Lord knew the man's heart on the outside. He was all dressed up and he looking important and he, he had high standing. He was a ruler. He was rich. He was, I mean, this dude was balling, but his heart. The Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. The Lord knew the man loved money more than he loved God. How many of you know that the Lord has the right to ask you for everything you have because it all belongs to him. It all belongs to him. Some of us, when it comes to money, we have, we have hidden that part of our life. God cannot touch how we give. I used to, when I was a baby Christian, I had my dollar. I take my dollar out. And I walked down the middle aisle holding my dollar. I felt so good about myself. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't working, I was, but, I, but I, had, I gave a dollar. For years, that's all I gave. And one of the ways that I justified, I said, I'm not giving any money to that man, that preacher. I didn't see that giving was a reflection of where my heart was and whether I was a sellout or was I sold out. Some of us have been giving the same amount to the Lord, even though you get annual pay increases. You haven't increased your giving to the Lord. And it's not because, well, I'm just being a wise steward. A wise steward over whose money? The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything that you have belongs to him. We give out of comfort and convenience. We don't give out of sacrifice. We're not giving because we've consulted with the Lord. But at the same time, we're walking around like we're, walk, we're flying or, or gliding on a spiritual cloud. We can quote every scripture. We know all the major doctrines, and we're robbing the Lord. We ain't giving worth nothing. And the Lord knows your heart. You're not hiding it from him. But that's just an area where you have not surrendered. One of the things that I had to do, I made every excuse under the sun why I couldn't get. I'm a single parent, and the Lord knows how hard it is. I'm, I'm driving three kids to church, and, and I'm barely getting there. Sometimes no gas in the car, and I'm telling the Lord, I can't tie, I can't give. And then after about three or four cars broke down, and after the air conditioner broke down, and the kids stayed in the hospital, I said, guess what, Lord, I'm on ties. My struggle now as I get older and I'm trying to move towards retirement is not how little can I get, but, Lord, how much can I get? Lord, whatever you want, I want you to have it. I'm not withholding anything because you give your best to me. The Lord doesn't give us anything less than his best. Are you giving the Lord your best? Are you really giving the Lord your best? Where are you really Storing your treasure. Do you really understand that only what we do for Jesus will last? And any boat that we get on that Jesus isn't on, that's the boat that's going to sink. But when Jesus is on board, when he is the captain of our ship, we are on an unsinkable ship. We cannot lose when Jesus is in charge. This man said, Lord, anything but my money. Anything but my, my family, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the wound is a reward. I put thousands of dollars in this house. The Lord said, unless the Lord builds a house, 
they that labor who build labors in vain. Whatever you have, that car that you're driving, that job that you have, the very breath that you're breathing is from the Lord. And at any second, he could simply say, return, and you stop breathing, and you kill over, and you be leaving this earth, entering into the very presence of God. Without any discussion, well, Lord, I'm not ready. Can we talk? No, no, no. You can talk about it in heaven if that's where you end up. Your children belong to the Lord. Your finances belong to the Lord. The body that you're trying to keep in shape belongs to the Lord. The ability to think and make good decisions, that is also from the Lord. It all belongs to him. He had a distorted view of stuff. He thought that money belonged to him. In reality, what was happening is the money kept him from what he needed most. Sometimes the thing that you keep from the Lord the most is the very thing that is keeping you from all the Lord wants to release to you. Anything that God puts in your hands, you need to hold it loosely because it's his. It's his. When you're sold out, you understand it. Let me, let me, let me, let me uh, conclude with this. What, what's in it for you? <laughs> Peter said in the latter part of the verses and with the time we have, like, he said, Lord, let me, let me just read that. You, you might not believe me. Let me, let me just, he said, uh, then Peter said in verse 20, I love Peter. He said, see, we have left all to follow you. Basically, Lord, what's in it for us? If I <laughs> surrender everything, and this is our fear, if I give up my life to the Lord when I'm young, I actually had a cousin who said to me when I, I said I was totally surrendered to the Lord. She said, I feel sorry for you. You're too young. The Lord don't require that. Yes, he does. I don't care where you are in your spectrum of life. God requires nothing more, nothing less than all that you have to offer. Here's what happens. Here's what's in it for you, Peter. Here's what's in it for you, Christian. Paul talked about this. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You get power over fear to serve Christ with boldness. Boldly serving Christ. Paul was in, a, in, in prison. He said, but for me to live is Christ, but to die, <laughs> to die. I'm not afraid to die. I'm going to serve the Lord. Because what happens when you're sold out, fear can't dominate you. When you're dominated by fear, guess what? You're not sold out. You're selling out. Here's a second thing that happens. Passion enables you to give, to go through whatever it takes to get to wherever Jesus is leading you. Paul said, I want, and she said, it would be far better for me to leave. But it is for your benefit that I remain so that you can grow. And I'm willing to stay in prison. I'm willing to be beaten. I'm willing to go through everything because I have a When you're sold out, you have a love for the Lord and for people, and your heart is broken when the heart of the Lord is broken. I want you to know one of the things that's missing in the church is that we lack passion. The Bible says that Jesus looked at them. He looked at them. He turned and he looked at the world. Yeah, I hear the news. Yeah, I read the papers. But have you looked in anybody's eyes lately? Can you see that they're weary? Can you see that they're confused? Can you see that they're like sheep without a shepherd? Can you see them? Passion, passion, passion. Let me, Harry, here's another thing that happens. You get perspective. You see the world from the lenses of the Lord when you are sold out. You understand that all things work. How can all things work together? How can you be Daniel, Meshach, and Shadrach? How can you be Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego getting ready to be thrown in the fire and say, oh, king, you might throw us in the flame, but we ain't bowing. Because we understand by faith that the Lord, he's able. But even if he doesn't, <laughs> I can look beyond the temporal loss of my life because I know that I can't lose with the stuff I use. I got the Lord in my life, and they end up in the flames. 
And there was a fourth man in the fire. You, you never been in a troubled situation. You ever been with your back up against the wall, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you find there's somebody else in the room. There's a voice that gives you a peace that passes all human comprehension. You know who he is. You know who he is. He ain't nobody but Jesus. Here's a final thing. Sold out gives you personal access to the promises of God. We left everything to the Lord, and then Jesus says, I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brother or sister or parents or children for my sake, for the sake of the kingdom, will fail to receive many times, many times, as much in this age and in the age to come. Say, you gonna, I will bless those who, sold, who are sold out to me. Nothing good will I withhold from those who love me and walk uprightly. David said, I've been young. I've been old. I've been young, but now I'm old. But I never, I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Promise. Anybody want the promise of God? When you, when you are sold out for the Lord, you have those promises. Stand up with me. You'll have purpose, too. You'll have purpose for living. You'll understand that you were created to serve the Lord. Passion, purpose, perspective, power over fear. When I was in elementary school, my mother made me open up a bank account. Through my school, they allowed children to have their first bank account. PSFS was the name of the bank. I think it's Wispus now. And uh, I didn't know what a bank account was. But I heard my mother say, I'm going to put $10 a week in your bank account, in your savings account. $10 was a lot for a joker like me. Man, hell, I have a fortune. But here's what I didn't like. She said, if you put $1 in, I'll put 10 I liked her putting money in my account, but uh, why you got to use mine? Why can't I just withdraw? Why can't I just have access to the benefits of 10 you, you give me 10, 10 times what I get. Now, it really got, it got worse because uh, I wasn't trying to give up my dollar. She took it, put it in the bank. And for years, she would put $10 a week, $10 a week, take my one, take my one. That by the time I get out of uh, elementary school, I had a pretty sizable amount. And then she stopped putting her 10%. And then the bank gradually... <laughs> became depleted because I didn't put anything in it. I want you to know my mother was teaching me the principle of sowing and reaping. Now, we understand that financially we, we invest our money. We put our money in savings accounts, and, and we do all kinds of things to, to increase our worth and our value economically. But the Bible also teaches about reaping Sowing and reaping spiritually. Every time you make up your mind to die to yourself, to you become alive in Christ, you are depositing into your spiritual account. And everything that you give, the Lord always gives a hundredfold. And so when you, when, when you, this is, this is why he does it. When you get a chance, this is in, 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 in I can't come down. Anyway, in Mark chapter 10, in verse 22, I believe, the Lord says, after the rich man said, what must I do to gain heaven? The Bible said he looked at him and he loved him. The reason why the Lord wants us to surrender everything to him is because he loves us. And his desire is not just to give you a nickel blessing. 
He wants to bless you. We talk about above and beyond what we can ask and think. Most Christians aren't experiencing that because we're selling out rather than being sold out. When you are sold out, the Lord will open up the windows of heaven and he will pour you out a blessing that you can't even receive. And so he's saying, like my mother, just open up the account. Deposit your body as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. And I will bless you. Are you willing to be a sold out Christian? Are you willing to surrender to Christ? Are you willing to, to take your hand back and stop taking from the Lord without giving anything in return? Let's pray. Father God, forgive me for not being bold for you.